0: What does luxury travel mean to you? Our guest has her own unique perspective on this edition of Tripcast 360. Hello, and welcome to Tripcast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, David Cumberbatch. Hey, Dave, it, it, is, it is noon my time on September 12th, and it's already 93 degrees here. I'll tell you something.
1: What's even, uh, shall I use the word crazier, is the entire west coast of the United States and those fires. I mean, I, I really empathize with those folks, Lost of life, loss of property. Lost of some items that you can that can never be replaced um
0: uh, yeah we've actually got the smoke the closest california fire to us here in vegas is about 150 miles away and the las vegas valley sun is being blotted out by the smoke oh, wow. um, it, it's pretty bad um yeah i i don't know what to say i usually ride a bike in the morning for exercise not today too much smoke in the air You can catch our podcast at TripCast360.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please share, subscribe, and like us with your friends and family. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, TripCast360.com. We have a treat for you today. Our guest is Jamie Edwards. She runs the website IamLostAndFound.com where she chronicles some fabulous luxury travel adventures, a virtual scrapbook, if you will, that includes her love of photography. If you are looking for a remote and luxurious place to stay on Troll Peninsula in Northern Iceland, Jamie is the one to ask. Or how about scoring the most coveted reservation at Mexico City's hottest restaurant? Well, you guessed it. Jamie got it done. Dave, say hello to Jamie Edwards. Hi, Jamie. How are you?
2: Hi, Dave. Hi, Michael. Nice to meet you.
0: Pleasure having you on board today
1: with us.
2: I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
1: And Jamie, the name I'm Lost and I'm Found, how did you come up with with that name? It's interesting. Very interesting name.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, I'd have to say being uh, true to who I am, I, I research and I write and I brainstorm quite a bit. And had lists and lists of uh, buzzwords and keywords. And then it was a matter really of sort of weeding down and then seeing what was available when I went to uh, buy the domain name. Uh, Lost and found was an idea that came to me while I was sitting on a beach in Turks and Caicos uh, a few years back. And I originally wanted to call the website lost and found. Uh, And of course that was taken So my husband, uh, piped up, why don't you call it? I am lost and found. And I think that's even nicer than lost and found because it's more of a statement. It's more personal. And I think it really resonates with exactly what my website is about, which is curiosity, discovering, um, finding things that are important to you. And, uh, also we've, honestly gotten lost in more places than i can count uh <laughs> over the years so it's uh accurate as well
1: before michael asked the question and we and we dig a bit deeper luxury travel as i research what luxury travel is uh i'm coming up with all different types of explanations for luxury travel um some folks for them luxury travel is the amenities it's staying in a five-star hotel, it's getting a butler. Is is luxury travel that and more? What's your definition of luxury travel?
2: Well, I would argue it's that and less <laughs> in some ways. The reason I say that, uh, well, first of all, I, I agree with luxury travel and luxury in itself is a very personal, uh, personal experience. Uh, What means luxury to me will mean something different to Michael, to David, to everyone. I think that we all have to define luxury for ourselves, meaning what makes us happy when we travel, what do we call luxury in travel? Uh, For me, it's a wide range of things. uh, But it could be something very, very small, like finding a beautiful pond to take a picture of during a sunset. To me, that's being able to discover that and take a photo of that is a luxury to me. Uh, what is not luxury to me is necessarily opulent hotels, five star hotels, glitzy gold. I personally would define luxury for me as being something much more understated. Um, the little things that make things uh, more exciting. uh a butler is is a wonderful amenity, uh, of course, but there are other ways. For instance, when we were in Iceland, the place we stayed had what they called a personal experience manager, which was really pretty incredible. It was someone who was dedicated to kind of helping you create the travel experience that you wanted, whether that was horseback riding or... Tom car driving or going out skeet shooting and then going fat biking it is very personalized um, rather than someone just serving you cocktails on your veranda. <laughs> uh, but again, it's uh come I come back to the the personal definition, which is I think just what's so important and critical is being able to define it for yourself.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that's a good approach. I mean, I I've probably stated it more Quote unquote five star hotels and resorts than I can count. And honestly, at some point, they all kind of blend together for me. It's like, you know, but you have a five star resort on a beach in one resort, and then you go, you know, across the other side of the world to the same, to another resort, and the beach doesn't look any different than the one I just left. And at some point, you have to kind of uh, define what is luxury to you. I don't necessarily need the five-star resort to feel like I'm having a luxury travel experience. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. know, When I went to Costa Rica, I stayed at a four-star resort only because my girlfriend insisted. It wound up being a blessing. Um, <laughs> you know, the monkeys were outside of our room every morning, so we'd leave fruit for them. And I, I spent more time taking pictures of the monkeys than I did on the beach. <laughs> uh, and it it was awesome. Or like at ten o'clock in the morning, all the local surfers would come out, and it reminded me I'm not going to try surfing again. I'm too old for that now. But <laughs> it reminded me of my childhood when I lived in Florida, just surfing on the beach. That to me was was what defined luxury for me. And we're going to touch on something else that you just talked about about viewing mountains. I I have this mountain fetish. You know what? I'm just going to jump right to it. I have this mountain fetish. (laughs) I I love looking at mountains. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about them. Uh, Maybe it's because I spent part of my childhood on the East Coast and everything was flat in Florida. And then I graduated from high school in Colorado. So Pikes Peak is right out of my backyard. And I'm looking up at this 14,000 massive mountain. I live in California for most of my life. I've seeing all those mountains. Costa Rica's got this beautiful Arenal volcano. And it's like mountains, mountains, mountains. All right, I'm skipping ahead. I don't, I didn't mean to, but I'm going to. Tell us, what is it about mountains that you find so beautiful? Because you wrote about it in your writing and it touched me.
2: Well, I'm glad it did. Um, I have to say that I overall am really enthralled with nature and wildlife altogether. So any beautiful vista, any view, but especially mountain views, there is something about it for me that's really ethereal. We uh, This summer, our travel plans were upended like many people's were. And we had an opportunity to spend six weeks in Stowe, Vermont, which is where my dad spends uh, part of his year, my dad and my stepmother. And they were not in Vermont so we took over the house um sort of on a whim and his house faces this beautiful mountain the Worcester Mountains and I have to say I think I spent most of my day sitting on the deck looking out at those mountains the way that the cloud coverage sort of um almost like San Francisco the fog would lift Every single morning, the sky looked different. Every single night, the sunset looked different over those mountains. Um, The rainstorms were beautiful over those mountains. I was never without my camera. I think my kids were going to absolutely kill me. Um, I think that there's just something bigger than us when you look at views like that. And maybe that's why I'm so attracted to mountains. But also, I happen to really enjoy hiking mountains. Uh, not just looking at them, I like climbing them and then taking photos of the views from the mountains.
0: Oh, and, you're, you're the daredevil then.
2: <laughs> well, it would seem that I'm a daredevil, but I'm actually not. For as much as I love wildlife and hiking and outdoor activities, I am I am not that person. My husband uh, is critical in pushing me towards adventures that I would not normally do on my own. So, but hiking has become an activity that in the past 10 years or so, uh it just it affords me so many different things that I love. Like I said, the views, uh taking photos of the views, being out in nature and really just feeling um there's something humbling and wonderful about feeling small on a mountaintop. Yeah. Uh braving some elements. We've had we were sort of notorious for years. We would hike various parts of the world uh, and we'd get to the tippy top and for whatever reason, a huge storm would pass and we'd have no views at all. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, But we've had a little bit better luck recently with our hiking. Uh, but that, it's just uh, become a an activity that has just brought me so much pleasure and the mountains are a huge part of it um, and just the inherent beauty of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it, it does, and it, and it makes you feel small, but it makes you realize how powerful Mother Nature is too. I I get the same visceral reaction when I'm standing on a beach and I see a wave coming. Um, you know, it, there's just nothing that could duplicate the raw power of watching a humongous wave hit that coast. And e- even when the water's tranquil, like in the Gulf of Mexico, when there's not a hurricane out, it's just just sitting there, just watching that back and forth. I could sit there all day long with a glass of wine and be perfectly content.
2: Oh, I feel the same exact way. We uh, we traveled in March just when the pandemic was just when it was hitting. We were, had our spring break plans with our kids and we were due to go to Mexico uh, just outside of um Cabo San Lucas, and we were really, have you? Oh yeah. Beautiful.
0: I spent a week in San Juan del Cabo. (laughs) Oh
2: yeah. Well, it's a beautiful place. And we were really torn whether we should go or not at the time. And we did, we decided to go. And because it was the second week of March and just when everything was happening, uh, it was a very poignant trip. We knew we were really lucky to get away as a family to sort of um, escape the chaos that was sort of happening. So I spent a lot of my time sitting on the beach uh, watching whales. I'm sure you might remember the whales. They just pop out of the sea like champagne corks every few seconds. Yes. And that was also an incredibly humbling experience and one of my best memories. Uh, Now I can say like, like a luxury that to me was the ultimate luxury sitting on sitting there with my breakfast with my wellness shot um turmeric and ginger and watching the whales it could not have been nicer
0: dave and i normally when we plan our podcast we do our questions separately he'll do his i'll do mine and then we'll compare notes before we start but we both of us rested on This one question, I'm going to set it up, tee it up for Dave, and Dave's actually going to ask the
1: question.
0: (laughs) And it it came from your article, Five Travel Comebacks to Plan Right Now. Dave, take her away. I know what you're going to ask her.
1: The question that you ask in terms of hiking and so on is actually part of that um, article. Five Comebacks to Plan Right Now. Was that story written because of COVID? Because you also mentioned sailing within that article.
2: Yes, that article was written just uh, a few weeks ago, and it was written with the pandemic in mind because I, from what I read and from what I hear, people want to do something. They want to get away in some way. Uh, People have felt cooped up. Uh, Like I said earlier, plans had been canceled. Uh, And I think people, and like us, were looking for creative ways to get away, but still feel safe. Uh, so I sort of thought back into my library of trips and things that neatly fell within somewhat safe travel, um, the safe travel arena, so to speak. And the sailing is sort of a, a really natural way to take a vacation and be socially distant, uh, with your family, uh, We've done that trip probably five or six times in a variety of ways, in a variety of places. And every single one of them lends itself to having an absolutely liberating, decadent trip um, with all those little luxuries we were talking about, just being able to jump off of a boat with wild abandon, to eat on the boat, to pull up to little coves and um, go to a tiny little bar, have a drink, sit on the beach. Uh, th- that's a doable holiday right now if someone is open, that is, to maybe flying to the Caribbean, to some of the islands that are open. And there are c- quite a few Caribbean islands that Americans can go to now. Uh, so that, to me, seemed like a really a-, a layup as far as the kind of trip someone can plan with their family now, especially since a lot of us have been separated from our extended families.
1: As part of that story, you mentioned You mentioned in the story, and I must say, you have some fantastic analogies, but you mentioned old planet versus new planet. Mm -hmm. Um, I would imagine these stories are part of the new planet. And I must say to you, it's a great way to look at travel.
2: Oh, I wish Uh, I could take credit for the old planet, new planet. (laughs) That's that's your husband. My husband said it and I ran with it because I was really spending way too much time saying, well, wait till things go back to normal or just wait until Thanksgiving and things will be normal. And then he kept saying, don't look at it as wanting what you used to have. He said, look at that as the old planet. Think that we got put on a new planet and this is what the new planet looks like. And this is how we face our every day on the new planet. He said, stop wishing for the old planet. And at first I thought that was a very annoying. Uh, And, but then I gave it some thought and it was sort of a nice way to look at it. Just these are the cards we're dealt right now and let's be happy here. Let's make the new planet work. Uh, And I can't say that I don't still wish for things from the old planet. uh, But overall for me, it's been a comforting way to move forward And that's why a lot of those ideas came out of that new planet, old planet idea. The sailing, for instance, or renting a villa, a cottage, an Airbnb. Those are all things we can do right now that, uh, especially if, I mean, there's almost nowhere you can't drive from your own home and find an Airbnb, even within a few hours, just to have a change of scenery.
0: You know, I I have a smoke-filled Airbnb in California you can go to right now.
2: (laughs) Harder sell. A little bit of a harder sell.
0: (laughs) Hey, you you can't blame me for that. In your writing uh, in this particular article, but in a couple of others too, I don't want to use the word escapism, but just like getting away from the noise of it all seems very important to you
2: it is. Uh, I think that i'm a I'm a pretty structured and detail oriented person. My general day to day life is structured and routined. so for me, travel is all of that it It is an escapism. It's a way for me to um, put normal behind, put the everyday behind. For as scheduled and routined as I am, and this for people I know might be surprised. I don't actually plan most of the vacations to the, to the, to the utmost details. We tend to book the hotel, uh, the air, of course, and then a few restaurants. And then for the most part, we wing it. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've been on an airplane with our lonely planet going somewhere and we had not even opened it yet. Uh, And we sit on the plane and we just highlight a few things we want to do. And I, I, it's a bit of a winging it that's not inherent into my personality. I'm not a wing it person. But when I like to plan the big picture and then wing it for the small parts, if that makes
1: <laughs> sense. It, makes, uh, makes we, total no, it, it does make sense.
2: Uh, we like to just walk around places, absorb the culture, sit on a corner with a coffee in the morning, watch the world go by. And then later on for a rosé, watch the world go by. And then maybe later on for just we just like to sit and watch, uh, absorb the culture wherever we are, and that makes us happy. That's how we. That's how we like to travel. We. I realize a lot of people out there are museum goers, and that's wonderful. I love art, yet I prefer to be out in the architecture itself rather than inside in the museum when I travel. Uh, and thankfully, our family sort of works. Together that way, we have that same uh, same way that we travel.
0: Nice. Are are you is, is there something you're planning to do either while we're still under this travel restriction with COVID or a post travel travel something in post COVID world that's in the back of your head that you really want to go do right now?
2: Well, we, yes, I always have something in my mind. (laughs) My husband gets very, uh, he laughs because oftentimes we'll have just gotten home from a vacation and I'm already on the computer planning the next one. So I've realized that I have to kind of uh, wait on that a bit. I just get very, I like having travel in my back pocket, whatever that is. Uh, So we are supposed to be going, although it's still up in the air, to Egypt for Christmas. Nice. That had been mm. that had been on, on my bucket list since I was 12. It's taken a long time and now it may or may not happen, but it'll happen eventually if it doesn't happen this Christmas. Uh but in the short term, I am planning a few girls getaways that are driving distance from Washington DC where I live, uh just to like I said earlier, have a change of scenery. I think personally and from what I talked to friends about Having any change of scenery at all is very good mentally. Uh, As much as you might love the home that you live in or your apartment, it's really nice to get out and come back and appreciate it later. Um, Any kind of any kind of stuff out.
1: Wow. Tell us about your trip to St. Barthes. St. Barthes is extremely high end, I was told. I've never been there.
2: You're from Barbados,
1: is that right? Yes. Ah, you're good. You picked up that accent.
2: <laughs> no, I read I read about it.
1: <laughs> oh, oh that's oh gee. Me Let me hit my head and my forehead. But um Saint Barts is very high end. Um tell us about your your trip to St. Barts.
2: Well, St. Bart's, I've been to many Caribbean islands, uh l- very luckily I uh over the years. And what I found about the Caribbean islands is that I love how each one has their own vibe, each very unique from one another. Uh so some favorites, for instance, uh, Antigua is one of our favorites, very different from St. Bart's, which is very different from uh the Windward yeah. Islands when we sailed to Bekway and Canwan uh and and Mustique. Uh What Saint Barts? I think what when you go there, when we went there, it was very much for that high-end, over-the-top luxury experience. I just don't think anyone necessarily goes there for um, not trying not to um, kind of capture that that uh, that chic experience. That's true. Um, We rented a villa through uh, Eden Rock um, Hotel, which is a famous hotel on the island. And we went for couples and we spent President's Day weekend. And it was, I mean, it's a very beautiful island, uh, French influenced. And I mean, just in every single shape of the word luxury and decadence, it really did fulfill that.
1: Yes,
0: yes. In in keeping with the the Caribbean theme, you wrote another great article about beach bars in the Caribbean, and I was going to grab my drinking hat, but I left it in the other room. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a chance to uh, expound upon your list, starting with Basil's Bar and Mystique.
2: Yes, well, it's interesting. When I wrote that, um, I had I must have posted it on some social media. And, oh, I cannot believe the, the feedback I got from that. It was incredible because I think a lot of people have their favorites in the Caribbean, Every rightfully so. Everyone has their has their opinion to what their favorite is. But some of it was, oh, I can't believe you didn't talk about this one in Jamaica. How dare you not include it? And I thought, well, I, I haven't been to Jamaica, but thank you. When I go, I will add that to my list. <laughs> so it was really important that I wrote in that article that this is my personal experience, Um, which actually my entire blog is it's personal. uh, And I don't expect anyone to the point that uh, the reason I write that way is in case anyone enjoys or is excited or inspired by what I've written to go do it themselves. Um, But I'm certainly no expert on on everything, but I'm an expert on what I like, I guess is what I like, like to say. Uh, so back to the article, um, I kind of had a trouble narrowing down to five, but I wanted to give a sort of a wide range. Basil's is pretty uh, popular tourist spot. It's also one of the only places on Mustique. Um, and it is only, one of the only beach bars that is on Mustique. And it's wildly famous and popular. Yes, a bit touristy, but still worthwhile going to just the the vibe, the music, the open air, the loungy feeling, and seeing all the yachts in the distance and the sailboats—I mean, it's a very beautiful spot. Um, but I, my probably my favorite, or I, well, they're all my favorites uh, <laughs> for a reason. There is a place called Cowreck Beach on Anagata. Anagata is in the British Virgin Islands, and it's really quite far from all the other islands. It's a real haul. I think it's 17 nautical miles from any of the other islands. So most people don't get that far out, Um, but we did. And it's flat as a pancake island. I think that the island is only 17 feet high at its tallest tree. So uh, I'm surprised it's still there. Uh but being flat and pretty long and flat like that, it is an absolutely pristine beach. I probably collected about fifty um washed-out bleached sea urchin shells there. Um half of which did not make it home in one piece, unfortunately. Uh but CowRec was a beached uh restaurant bar there that just sort of fulfilled that completely divey, low-key, bright yellow paint, mismatched tables, chairs, uh, yet had the had a feeling that you just can't describe, just the energy, the vibe. Uh, I don't remember what the food tasted like. It it frankly does not matter. It was just the feeling <laughs> there was so wonderful, uh, indescribably great. Nice. Uh, so we lo- that was a, a highlight. And another one was on Cooper Island, the rum bar which is teeny tiny. We we sailed there one day. They only have a certain amount of moorings, So if you don't get there, you're out of luck. You have to leave. And again, just has that low key luxury uh, that I was describing earlier. Just hundreds of kinds of rums, a beautiful view, a pretty beach, um, people playing cricket, right? Well, our family rather playing cricket on the beach, just uh a very chill, beautiful feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did, uh, you know? Now, rum is the drink of the Caribbean. If, if, <laughs> if you don't get into some rum, you in the wrong place. Do you have it, a favorite it, rum drink or something? And hey, remember, you got a man from Barbados on this call. I know. You,
2: you, you, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I will dr- probably drink any rum drink someone gives me. I think the painkillers were very popular all throughout the that killers.
1: The painkillers? The painkillers.
2: What are uh, painkillers? I mean, I uh, who can remember? Actually? <laughs> it's very fruity. <laughs>
0: Hence the name Painkiller. <laughs> uh
2: that's true. I for one, I I one painkiller really sets me out for for the for the night. So I have to be very careful with the wrong. <laughs> um wine, on the other hand, for some reason I can drink without without uh worry. Uh but let's just say when in the islands, I drank everything everyone put in front of me. Uh but it, that the island, the Caribbean island, as as you know, of course, uh, David. It's just each one feeling and having its own special feeling, its own culture, its own vibe. Uh, it's and and plus the mountains and the views. Uh, yeah. We went to Saint Lucia, known as uh, yeah Saint Lucia, and we climbed the Pitons, uh, which was that's amazing. That really that challenging. Yeah, uh, the friends we were with, I think that they really regretted. Uh, taking a holiday with us when we drag them to the top of the pitons Uh, but the views are worth it (laughs) the views are always worth it
1: if i'd known that you'd be so excited about talking about the painkillers generally this is what i do one of our early podcasts we interviewed a mixologist and as he was mixing the drinks and talking about the drinks i had my glass and i was drinking a rum and coke so if I'd known that we were gonna get this deep, I
2: mean, you would have made a painkiller for
1: yourself. I, I w- Yes,
0: I would have made a painkiller. He, he would have called his friend up and figured out how to get it done. Trust me. That's then right.
2: Send me the recipe when you do. Yeah, and I you, And your, will. and your favorite rum.
1: You I, will certainly send that to you. <laughs>
0: oh, but by the way, before we get off the rum discussion, I don't know very many people who've been to Catherine's Cafe in Antigua. I have. Um, And the backstory was when I was a producer at the Travel Channel, they sent me there for 10 days to produce interstitials for the TV network. And I think I found my way to Catherine's pretty much every single day I was there for more than just an hour.
2: Well, was that Catherine's when it was at the other location? Because yeah. they moved.
0: They moved, yes. It was at the other location.
2: We've been to the other location as well. Many years ago, we went to a wedding in Antigua, and that's when we discovered Catherine's then. And when we went back last year, we sought it out, realized it had moved. But it's just as special. It's really, uh, as you remember, probably um, has a beautiful feeling to it, intimate. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the food was great, and I, I remember Catherine's always or Antigua in general used to always advertise themselves as having 365 beaches, one for every day of the year. Yeah, yeah, they still do. They yeah. still do. So, <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I, yeah, I found most of them, and probably after a few trips to Catherine's,
1: I'll tell you a story. Um, several years ago, I was on Saint Kitts, and Saint Kitts has a lot of monkeys, you know. And they tell you when you're having your drink at the bar, your alcoholic beverage, don't leave it. The monkey will take your your glass and he'll, he'll, he'll drink that drink.
2: He'll oh, drink that a alcoholic monkeys. beverage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> true story. True story.
2: I have a good monkey story too. Um, All
0: right, let's hear it. Yeah, let's Although hear not it. Quite,
2: not quite as good. Um, <laughs> sort of a scary story. My husband and I went to India in 2011 and a lot of I, I mean I love India I love Indian food I loved everything about India but the driving there was terrifying
1: terrible <laughs>
2: terrifying I mean I don't know what was worse the roads where nobody was on it and they were bumpy and you felt like you were going to throw up the entire time or the roads that were dual carriage and everybody was passing one another and you felt like you were about to get hit by a car yeah or a bus at any any given moment the, but we pulled over on the side of the road, I don't remember why, and there was a man on the side of the road with a monkey on a leash, which is not unusual in uh, India, and I I can't believe I did this. Uh, I rolled down my window to take a picture, and the guy went completely insane, because I think that what I didn't know then is that they're supposed to be paid to uh, for you to take their photos. And... For whatever reason, I completely freaked out. My I, my husband is like, "Tell him you're deleting the picture." So I'm showing him I'm deleting the picture. He got very angry. That was sort of a big introduction as into uh, taking photos of people without their permission. Uh, yeah. I learned a lot from that experience, but it was it was a scary monkey experience. <laughs> That's sure. a good
1: story. That's a good story.
0: Well, if you ever get a chance to go to Morocco, the lady that uh, does tours to Morocco. There's a place, and I don't remember where it was exactly, Dave, where the monkeys don't even um, uh, take the food from you. They just sit and wait because they're so often fed by the tourists. They know they're going to get fed. They just sit Yeah, there. yeah. And sooner or later, they get fed.
2: Tame tame monkeys.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah they, they, she, she had another name for them. It wasn't tame, but it was somewhere along those lines where they were pretty docile. They they were just non-aggressive. They just waited. They
1: Listen, just, monkeys. Wait. monkeys are some of the smartest animals there. <laughs> I'm telling very you. True.
2: Very true. In fact, uh, interesting you say that because one of my highlights of my life was uh, last year about this time I was able to go to Uganda to track the silverback gorillas. Uh, I went with a friend of mine. Uh, she, w- she wasn't even a very close friend. Someone I'd met in passing a few times in the neighborhood. Um, we had maybe gone out for drinks once and then on New Year's Day, I got a text from her that said, Hi, Jamie, Happy New Year. Would you like to go to Uganda with me? And I texted back right away, Yes, which I'm sure blew her mind because maybe she wasn't even expecting, <laughs> especially not so fast. And uh, about eight months later, we found ourselves in Uganda tracking uh, silverback gorillas, which was magical it was like nothing i'd ever done before uh combining hiking wildlife mountains everything it was a uh, it was an incredible experience
0: you've mentioned photography several times in this conversation and i actually use that phrase to introduce you in the bio, where did your love of photography come from? I mean, i read another story where you and some of your girlfriends went to Santa Fe, and were looking at art, which we'll deal with in a minute. But every time you go somewhere, your camera is out. Where did this love, this passion come from?
2: You know, that's, I don't even know if I know exactly. I've I've never really been able to rely on my memory very well. I take pictures to make up for my memory. But I also just love beautiful things. So I always feel like I have always wanted to document things. Uh, So I feel like that falls more in line with storytelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I consider myself a very, very um, amateur photographer who just loves the story in the sense that I probably take a thousand photos on every trip. And out of those thousand, maybe five, I really love, but I still I still have enough to tell the story. And that helps kind of fill in the gaps in my brain as well. So I think and I also did spend my working career in New York City as a designer, graphic designer and in advertising where I worked with photographers often. So it has been a part of me most of my most of my
0: life. And if you look at your website, some of your pictures are stunning. I mean, I think you're underselling yourself. I really do. You put Thank some you. really good images on that website. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just had to say that.
1: To follow up on Michael's question as a follow up, in a couple of your articles, you quoted Michelle Obama, you quoted Maya Angelou. In reference to Michael's question, is that where you get some of your inspiration as well?
2: I get my inspiration from so many sources, but when, when something, when I hear something or read something that hits me, I, I, I write it down in my notes. I want to remember it. Um, and that will sometimes inspire a post altogether. Uh, but when something really, for lack of a better word, knocks me on the on the head, just a saying or a quote, something I really want to remember. And then I, Somehow, it just naturally we can weave itself into the writing uh, when uh-huh. it makes sense. So that's but that's a great question.
1: What I found was interesting in reference to I think it was in reference to the mountains and climbing and hiking. You said when they go low, we go high. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic how you mar- how you married those two things together.
2: Well, I thought it was also sort of appropriate right now, given (laughs) current current circumstances. And she had just spoken. uh, She had just spoken. So she was top of mind anyway. But yes, uh, kind of an interesting way to weave in that quote. But uh, I do think it's important to be high and look at things from a different vantage point.
0: Yeah, well, that, do, that was good. Do not allow your husband to tease you any longer about your analogies and metaphors. You're doing just
2: fine. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's definitely not my not my strong suit. My whole well, family laughs, laughs at it. So,
0: Well, you know what? Uh, to, to write like that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. And you will never get it perfect. I have written so many bungled <laughs> metaphors and analogies, <laughs> that, you know. And I put them in print anyway. You know, somebody will figure out what I was trying to say. You know, you got to have that imagination.
2: It's true. It's true. And you can't beat yourself up
0: either. Exactly. So, um, you also wrote another article that got my attention called "Travel Travel Around the Room." There you go, travel around Mm -hmm. the room. And I know why you wrote it. I see why your eye is what it is with that creative design. First of all, tell us about the article. I. What kind of motivated you to do that? I I just want to hear your side of the story.
2: I'm glad you asked, because out of everything I've written, that particular piece is my favorite, I think, because it really captured the mood of the moment for me. Uh, It was right when we were all stuck at home. No one was leaving the house. Uh, I was, I still do not quite every day, but was meditating every single day. And I actually have a photo on that page of this red chair that I sit in looking out into, um, our backyard and I would meditate every morning. And then I'd sort of take a look around and not having any travel on the horizon, of course, was sort of, you know, something I thought about, I knew that we would travel again, but had nothing in the foreseeable future, and when I looked around my living room, I we have a bowl collection. We've been collecting ceramic bowls for oh decades. And I just started to think about the bowls. And I actually labeled them under because we have about 25 bowls. I have little pieces underneath them to say where they came from because my memory is so bad that I can barely remember. Uh and I started to think about the bowls and where they came from and all the trips that we found them on. And it was a really kind of great way to relive travel memories. And that's that was the inspiration for the for the article was that you don't everyone has something they collect. I know people who collect shot glasses, t-shirts, magnets, keychains. You can relive a lot of your travel memories uh, by looking at not only your photos, but the other things you've collected. And I personally got a lot of comfort and joy from looking at my bowl collection. And I even started thinking which were my favorites and what were the funny stories attached to finding some of them. And it made me happy. So I that's how that piece came about.
1: What's really, really fascinating about that, you remember... You tell the story about when you met when you were in South Africa and you met Zizi and Andile and Andile, and it's amazing how with every piece of item you're able to associate an experience to that.
2: Oh, it was so great! Oh, it was so much fun! Uh, it's really rare that we would ever meet the artist of the bowls that we've collected really unusual and normally we come back from a country sometimes we come back from a travel and we have not found a bowl which happens actually uh sometimes but when we went there uh the shop was just closing for the night it was dark outside and peered in through the window and they let us in and the showroom was so beautiful and so brightly lit and both of them were there there's such Engaging, enthusiastic people showing us their their pieces, uh, and I of course couldn't choose one. I ha- I mean, first of all, they were both there. I felt I said to my husband, "We have to get one from each of them." And <laughs> the the bulls are just gorgeous, and Andalee is especially um, his is based on scarification. And white bowls, and it, it's as if he took a razor blade and scarred the white surface, and then it opened up ever so slightly, and there was color, like red and colors in between. And it's about, um, from what I read, the ancient ritual of scarification on skin, and wow, just. Um, being able to read the history and and how he came to create these pieces and Zizi as well, and being able to meet them in their showroom where they create their art, uh, long lasting memory for me. Just and I follow them both on I follow them on Instagram. It's imiso uh, Ceramics, and I keep up with them as much as possible. I send them the anytime I've written about them, I send them the articles. They're lovely people
0: probably have that global traveled experience just by looking at those bowls as you walk around your house. Uh, I don't expect you to tell me your favorite, favorite favorites, but just, you know, tell us of, uh, other than the ones that we just discussed, do you have a couple of others that you really are partial to or that really just bring back some that visceral memory that was just so good?
2: <laughs> oh yeah. There's, I mean, there's absolutely memories attached to every single bowl there. Uh, One of my favorites, and it's one of the ones I wrote about, uh, was when we were in Tokyo, we received a magazine called Kaita Hego, if I'm pronouncing it right. It was a kind of a lifestyle magazine, high-end, glossy. And it came out only four times a year. And it had everything in it from restaurants to gardens and shrines and just everything beautiful. And slipping through one day, and I saw this beautiful pottery um this elderly man, the ceramicist, and he one of his designs was um mumiji, which is um the maple Japanese maple leaf and I don't know how I even did this I don't know how I even figured this out. I, I I went out to his studio. I don't know how I got there. I have very little memory of it. I found his studio and I went and bought a piece as a gift for my husband. And it still remains one of my absolute favorite pieces in the collection. It's it's gorgeous. Uh, the style, it's got this beautiful iridescent sheen. It's purples and greens. And I only wish I could find him again so I could buy another bowl, but I have the trail has run completely cold. I, I don't know what happened. But.
1: Was was that was that a gift for your husband or was that really for you?
2: Oh, <laughs> <it> doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, David's asking. Dave is asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that is very I, funny. Listen, That's true. I tell you that we have fun on this. On this podcast, and we have the tendency to tease, to tease, and make fun of each other.
2: Oh well, that, that's funny that you say that because there's another pottery collection we collect from the Akama tribe in uh, New Mexico, and I always we have a small collection of them. And I, I guess last Christmas had said to my daughter, "I think I'd like to buy Daddy one of these," um, and she said. That's not a gift for him. That's a gift for you. And I thought, you see, oh,
1: I wasn't too you far, off. You see, Your I was is far off. See, <laughs> I was very sharp.
0: I was not far off, you see. <laughs>
2: You're exactly right. <laughs>
0: um, you can see some of Jamie's artwork, her bowl collection, and everything else. Her stories are on iamlostandfound.com. I'm going to make a pivot, Jamie, real quick, because you said something that is uh, uh, of interest to Dave and I. When we were both going to, when we were going to start this podcast, when we started having our initial discussions, it was pre-COVID. And the world was wide open. The 2020 Olympics were planned for Tokyo, a place that you live, I guess, for three or four years. Uh, we didn't get a chance to go, obviously. We had all these visions of going there and interviewing the athletes and going around the country. Well, that didn't happen. Um, so we're going to play I Want to Visit Tokyo Through Your Eyes. you lived there for four years. First of all, as an outsider who's never been to Tokyo, I mean, I have, but it was just for a couple hours. As an outsider, what is the culture uh, uh, like in Tokyo? Let's just start there.
2: Well, I will start by saying that even though we spent four years there, I think it's uh, a challenge to really uncover deep below the surface when you are not from there. But I think that Having spent four years there, we did as much digging as we could possibly do in the in that time, immersing ourselves in the culture, exploring, being curious, uh taking advantage of of everything uh that Japan and Tokyo had to offer. Uh I will say that uh from what I've heard from a lot of people, Tokyo is not always on people's bucket list when they think of the first place they want to go to in Asia. But anyone who ended up visiting us, and a lot of people did, came back saying that they were blown away by it in every sense of the word. Uh, it wasn't what they expected. Uh, it's a very safe, uh, civilized culture where, like, how can I put it? I, I, the way I like to look at it is, is Tokyo is in the details is a good way that I, I look at it. I think when people touch down in Tokyo and look around, I mean, it was a war-torn city. It's been newly built. You won't look at it like you would Hong Kong or New York City and say, oh, this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful city to, to look out over. The beauty of Tokyo, I think so much, not that there aren't beautiful places, there are so many, but the beauty of Tokyo is sort of what lies beneath the details. The way you were treated um, in hotels and restaurants and walking down the street, the way everybody who has a job in Tokyo takes their jobs so seriously and to such perfection. We used to walk down the street and there was one man who would be um, cleaning the mailbox and just cleaning it like it, like, like it was precious everyone took their lives and their jobs so seriously and they did it so well. It was culturally so unique and interesting to see. You'd go to a store and have buy something and the way the care, then the detail that they would wrap your piece that you bought. It was um, such care and time. So I think back to uh, all of that and what that's such a huge part of what made it so wonderful culturally, uh, we we had the ability to be able to have a lot of Japanese friends, and we get to see and go to restaurants that maybe no one else would have been able to get into because they might not have spoken the language or not even known it was there. Uh, so much of Tokyo can be hidden. Hidden. Uh, so many restaurants are below ground or tucked up way high in a in a high rise, um, like the way we would go upstairs into an office building to the twelfth floor to some soulless corridor and then you'd open up and there'd be this incredible restaurant buzzing with life with these incredible views over the Tokyo skyline, just uh hidden Tokyo. There's so much hidden. Uh, we barely scratched the surface, but we, we did our best.
0: Okay. Yeah. You, cool. you, you wrote a story on the beaten path and off the beaten path about Tokyo. Let's deal with on the beaten path first. What are some of the on the beaten path places that someone shouldn't go if they visit Tokyo?
2: Well, I I did write in the article that I think that a lot of the top 10 lists about Tokyo are right on. Um, I wouldn't miss the top 10 lists, what you can Google saying these are the top 10 uh, Meiji Shrine, uh, the Imperial Palace. There are so many uh, uh, more uh, Roppongi Hills. There are so many places on that list that are there for a reason. Uh beautiful gardens, uh, Shibuya Crossing, which is very, that very famous crossing where uh, you you see lots of photos, sort of their Times Square. Uh, I would encourage anyone to, to really tick off all of the top 10 because they are top 10 for a reason. But it's, so, and as far as uh, restaurants go, <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin because every restaurant that we went to in every single bracket when it comes to cost was, was great for the most part. They, Like I said earlier, they just take their jobs and their livelihood so seriously. Uh, we had one experience where we went to a restaurant right when we arrived. Someone had set us up at a restaurant called Quinta and little did we know that in a few months it was going to be given three Michelin stars. It was right when Tokyo came on the map for Michelin stars. So we got in right before uh, you couldn't get in. And the experience was so unique, so wonderful. We tried foods that we'd never heard of before, didn't know what it, couldn't pronounce. Uh, and we were the last two, last two in the restaurant. And when we left, the chef and the entire staff came out onto the sidewalk vowing goodbye to us. It was pretty late at night. It must have been midnight and there were no taxis. And so it took a very long time for us to find a taxi. This is pre Uber and they're still waiting. Nobody would leave until we got into our taxi and we just stood there waiting and they kept bowing and kept waiting. And they didn't mind one bit. It was just an incredible experience. Uh, Everything about those Tokyo experiences was so unique and special.
0: That, that, that is so nice. It restores my faith in humanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> COVID has affected us in so many ways, uh, especially when it comes to travel. Uh, the old planet was one where there was a lot of traveling, hustle and bustle. You mentioned appointments and schedules, et cetera. The new planet um, has afforded all of it, well, has afforded you the opportunity to go to national parks, to go sailing, to you know, and to do those things. What it has also done, it also has created an opportunity for you to look at your pottery, etc. And to just reflect on those experiences. How much of the old planet do you miss? Because it seemed as though the new planet has purpose as well.
2: Well, that's a that's a really interesting question. I do miss parts of the old planet in the sense of being able to just plan travel and not think about, not think about it, just being able to choose a place and go. But with that said, I'm not so disappointed that I have to think more creatively or uniquely either. Um In the sense that, for instance, when I talked about Stowe earlier, spending six weeks in Stowe, that that would never have happened had COVID not happened. We wouldn't have spent six weeks in Stowe. I would have missed out on a lot of really wonderful things. Uh, It's made me more thoughtful, more pensive, and it has actually changed the way I think I will travel in the future, personally. Uh, I, I... I think that I'm going to try to stay on board with what my husband said and try to look at the new planet as just being permanent and then how it evolves from here rather than wishing wishing for the old planet. Um, I mean, there's of course things that uh, I wish my kids were in school, like actually physically in school. I wish for them, things like that. Um, I wish clearly that people weren't sick um, and that, there was, uh, that that was not happening. But looking at it in terms of um, life moving forward. I, I, I do want to try to look at it. Although I have days where I wake up and I think, Oh God, I can't believe it. Another day, just like yesterday, uh, that we could all think about what we want to get out of the new planet.
0: Right. No, that, that's a. I I like your husband's approach, by the way. I think he's spot on with how he's, uh, uh, giving you some of that advice. I, I need to take some of that advice from him myself. I'm, I'm torn between the old and the new as well, but uh, there is going to be a new normal, and I think we need to just get ourselves used to it and just go. Um, I'm going to circle back with two questions about Tokyo. Number one, give us a little bit of the the off-the-beaten path, and number two, you took your kids to Tokyo and lived there for four years. How is it traveling with children, immersing them into a culture that's not their own?
2: Well, the kids were very young when we went they my son was six months and my daughter was two. so the beauty of that was that we're doing the same things in Tokyo that we would have been doing in New York We're going on play dates we're going to parks uh, their lives were not very different it was just in a new place uh, as I got older, they went to preschools and they were immersed in the language so they would t- spend one day in Japanese one day in English so that they felt a part of the culture and could be understood, which was really, I think, helpful for them. Uh, I think that having kids in Tokyo was, was not hard. It was a lot of fun. We met expats from all over the world, uh, shared experiences, uh, swapped stories on how challenging things were at times, where it helped each other out. They became extended family. And we still travel with a lot of these families now, which is a huge benefit. Uh As far as things that are, that I would say off the beaten path or things, the Nezu Institute is a, although I said earlier, I'm not much of a museum person, the Nezu Institute is a place in Motosando that is just this absolute beautiful museum, but the inside of the museum is just as beautiful as the outside with grounds and tea houses. And I would often go there just to walk around the outside grounds. And true to the Japanese, their architecture, their modern architecture is uh, stunning uh, and swoon-worthy. Uh, and the way they landscape and do nature is very unlike anything we do here, for anyone who's familiar with Japanese gardens. Uh, which brings me to a second place we used to go all the time, very tiny little garden called Hapo N. And uh we would take get visitors there with us all the time. I don't think it's on any top 10 list and it's quite small, but had a beautiful tea house and a koi pond and all the things you want in a Japanese garden in one very small, beautiful place. Uh, and they had this incredible collection of bonsai trees, maybe 15 or 20 bonsai trees. And we would just go there sometimes and marvel at them. Uh, so those are two that, uh, come to mind another is the museum at the top of um mori tower which had an ever-changing exhibit uh one exhibit was just all different um aquariums beautifully done and they had an entire exhibit on fish and aquariums uh so there's a there's just so much to do in tokyo it's never ending
0: is that tower where you took the picture i saw on your website of mount fuji
2: yes okay yes yeah wow yep that's yeah. exactly it.
0: Mount Fuji has to be the most awesome volcanic mountain I have ever seen, and I've seen a lot. That one is so impressive just because it dominates the backdrop of Tokyo. Um,
2: when you can see it, which when you is can see it's it. really <laughs> elusive. <Yeah. laughs>
0: when you can see it, but
2: it's when, funny you mention yeah. that because three days ago, twelve years ago today, uh, twelve years ago, I climbed it with some friends on September 9th. And a friend of mine just sent the photo of us. Uh, it came up on her Facebook as a memory from that day. So four friends climbed Mount Fuji, and it was an incredible experience. Again, unfortunately, one of those experiences where I got to the top and it was completely cloudy, but still uh, but still a fabulous experience.
0: Well, I, I know Dave likes mountain climbing, so that'll be really right <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. but uh, <laughs> Michael, we have kept Jamie for almost an hour. So if you have no further questions for
0: uh Well, I, I, I do, but uh, she would have to spend the rest of the weekend with us. And I don't think her kids and her husband are going to let her do that. So uh, right. I, uh, I will stop right here for now. But uh, Jamie, if you would be so kind at some point in the future... Um, we'd like to have you back and talk about some of your other stories. Your stories are really good. And I and I think, um, you, know, you know, I've been in this business in the travel and tourism business for over 30 years and, and few people capture the essence of travel from their perspective that you've done. You've done a really good yeah. job.
2: Well, thank you. That means a
1: very, lot. Very, yeah. very good job. Very good job. Now, Jamie, thank you for sharing your travels with us.
2: Thank you, you can... for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Most certainly. You can read more about Jamie's travels at IamLostAndFung.com. Until next time, from Michael, this is Dave. Thank you for listening.